It's a prayer challenge and fasting challenge. As we know, election season is upon us. You know, back in the day, (laughs) it used to be election day. Now it's election season. And not just for our country, but also for Israel as well. You know, and, and we know as, as followers of Christ that the Lord's eyes are upon Israel. And, you know, they have a lot of upheaval in their, in their government. And I guess what, how many elections over the last couple of years? About five elections. And that, that spells a lot of instability. And a lot of enemies want to do away with Israel. But uh, one thing I'm so glad about is that uh, of all the countries in the world, I'm not concerned about as far as going away. It's, it's Israel. Because the Lord promised that he would, he would uh, maintain Israel. So I, I praise God for that. But, uh, and then, of course, as well, then uh, we, we, we know about the, uh, the, the questions that happened in the last election and all that kind of stuff. So, so my challenge for you, as, we, as I'm going to be doing it, and Kitty's going to be doing it, is that uh, we're going to be doing some fasting as well. And so you know, it's a great time to talk about fasting on our, <laughs> on our Dinner on the Grounds Day. But, uh, you know, figure that out as you will. Uh, but pray at, and ask the Lord, Lord, what should I do? You know, should I fast the whole time or should I fast a, a meal a day or, or what? And uh, we are going to be fasting all the way up through the election, our election. I think it's on the 8th and maybe a, a couple of days after that. So so think about and, and, and ask the Lord what you should do with this, because uh, it is definitely important that we need to be going before the Lord as far as our elections and uh, who to put in office. So uh, with that said, let's go ahead and go to the Lord and ask him to bless us as we hear his word. Father, thank you so much for the way that you treat us, far better than we ever deserve. Lord, you're a God who who loves us. You're a God who is concerned about us. You're a God who takes care of us. We thank you, Lord. And Father, it's not just us, even as we talked about in Bible Fellowship time, Lord, today, that, uh, that you, Lord Jesus, not just died for our sins, but you died for the sins of the whole world. And so, Lord, we thank you. And, and Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to vastly appreciate, even more now than ever before, about the gravity and about the, the magnitude of your sacrifice for us. And so, Lord, today, as we come into Deuteronomy one more time, we're asking, Lord, that you'd help us to understand. And we're asking, Lord, that you'd help us to appreciate the fact of of what you want from us and for us. Lord, you indeed want us to be happy. And we thank you, Lord, for these things. Help us to understand in Jesus' name. Well, at the end of the last week's message, I mentioned again what I've said from time to time throughout our time in Deuteronomy. I reminded us of the Westminster Catechism and their questions and answers. The first question and answer of the Catechism goes like this. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Notice that there are not two separate answers here. They both go together. For in God's economy, we cannot have one answer without the other. And those of us who are in a living relationship with Christ, we know this to be true. And what picture, though, comes into our minds sometimes when one thinks that their chief end is to glorify God and not enjoy him? We may tend to think of life in a a rigid legalist would say that the only thing that matters is to get ready for the next life, the life hereafter, with little to no enjoyment in this life. You know, some people see the Lord and the life he wants us to live in this way. You know, God is in heaven scowling at humanity. 
he leans over the balcony and he looks down over the people having a great time. And then he thunders his voice to these people. And he's saying, are you having fun down there? And then the guy looks up. Yes, Lord. We'll cut it out. But what comes to mind if, if life is all about merely enjoying the presence of the Lord and his blessings? Where one makes it all about his or her happy, as my beloved so often says, with no thought of glorifying the Lord. How many have it, their idea like this when it comes to one's relationship with God? You know, I've got freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want to do. Now, these people tend to see God as a, as a doting old man, grandfather, sitting in his rocking chair in heaven and continually muttering to himself, no matter what's going on down here on earth, you know, kids will be kids. But of what does real life consist? Let me suggest this. Real life is God's people living together in a vital, saving, holy, warm, powerful relationship with the God of the universe. Where the most intense joys, the most satisfying experiences we could ever have come from living lives according to how he created us. In short, we are created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. As we will see, Moses believed that as well, that God's people are to glorify God and enjoy him. It's a both and thing. In our passage for today, Deuteronomy 33, 1 to 29, found on page 195 in your pew Bible, if you need that number. We will hear Moses address both sides of the answer of the catechism. Though in this passage, it looks like he leans more toward the enjoying God side than the glorifying him side. See, in verse 29, Moses even tells his people, happy are you, O Israel. Isn't that great? And it does stand to reason, though. Because after all, Moses has reminded, encouraged, and chided Israel numerous times throughout his sermons in this book regarding the glorify God part. So it's somewhat of a relief, I think anyway, to experience Moses highlighting the enjoy God part in the last words that he will say to his people. I guess kind of say the best for last. In our message for today, we will also discover a direct connection between Moses and Deuteronomy and Jesus, often referred to as the second Moses in the Gospels. See, it's no coincidence that, that Moses finishes his ministry proclaiming happiness on Israel, and the Lord Jesus proclaiming happiness at roughly the beginning of his ministry. In short, the Lord wants to bestow happiness on his people, whether it's Old Testament saints or New Testament saints. Now, I can imagine what may be going on in your minds. You know, Pastor, you gone off the rails here. Are you saying that the Lord wants us to be happy? Well, my answer is yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. But our problem is that we understand happiness far differently than what the Lord says it is. You know, let me give you a couple of examples. And the first one is COVID. See, over the past several years, COVID-19 has been with us. Would you agree with that? And I don't think it's a stretch to say that we do have happiness of sorts in our own circles. As a culture, firm lines have been drawn when it comes to this issue. See, when we stay in our tribes, we are relatively happy. But what typically happens in our culture when an unvaxxed person enters the space 
of one or more people who are vaxxed, all of a sudden there is a great deal of unhappiness. Yeah, right. And the same is true vice versa. And then throw in the movers and shakers of the church world like Ed Stetzer and Tim Keller, who made it their business to persuade pastors to greatly influence their congregations to take the jab. Or even people like Franklin Graham, who said if vaccines, including COVID-19, were available in Jesus' day, that Jesus would have advocated its use. And depending on which side one identifies with, whether Stetzer or Keller or Graham, they're either viewed as evil or as heroes. And now, depending on what sources we trust, that some are saying that nothing good has ever come about with these vaccines in the first place. You know, others say that those who get the regimen and even give it to their kids say that it greatly lessens the effects of the disease. And many are waiting with bated breath for the next definitive report that comes out of the CDC and what to do next. And depending on the report, some will be happy and some will be unhappy. So you tell me, with all this stuff swirling around in our culture of the day regarding COVID, is anybody really happy? It's not just COVID, though. What about the tensions between Russia's Putin and Ukraine's Zelensky? How many have sided with one or the other? See, we have our trusted sources. We believe them. And then we tend to look down our noses at those who side with the other guy. So how many are happy in our world, especially since there's a lot of talk about either Zelensky or Putin wanting to use nukes? Pretty scary, isn't it? We can multiply examples here. And so given our understanding of happiness in our day, can we really say that the Lord wants us to be happy? Is that what the Lord's after in our lives? And I say, yes, it is. But happiness as he defines happiness. See, I call his kind of happiness, Torah happiness. See, Torah happiness is what Moses wished on his people right before he passed off the scene. Torah happiness is God's people obeying the Lord's ways because they supremely enjoy the relationship they have with him. So let me give us the lay of the land today as we go through this scripture in Deuteronomy 33. Let's begin with verse 1, where I will make an important point about why scripture describes Moses as a man of God, proclaiming Torah happiness on his people. His proclamation is authoritative, it's deliberate, it's intentional. It's not merely a nice sentiment. In verses 2 to 5, Israel's pastor will remind the people of the Lord's power and deliverance and guidance in preparing them to enter into a God-glorifying, God-enjoying covenant that he made with them on Mount Sinai, God's mountain. Moses will have a blessed personal word for all the tribes in verses 6 to 25. And admittedly, we're going to go through them pretty briefly, but we're going to stop for a minute or two to talk about two tribes, Asher and also Levi. And then in verses 26 to 29, we're going to hear Moses heap great praise on the Lord, Israel's divine king. In the same section, we're going to hear Moses give Israel two final blessings. First, as mentioned, Moses is going to tell of his desire for Israel to be happy. And the second one, Moses is going to encourage his people one last time to accomplish the mission that the Lord had given them, to take over the land Yahweh promised to give his people by military conquest. 
And then we're going to discover an amazing direct connection between Moses and the Lord Jesus and how both proclaim Torah happiness on all of God's people before we partake in communion today. So that's where we're going. There's a lot to cover, so let's get going here. And as we've done several times in the past, we're not going to go into any kind of depth in any of these verses today. And we're going to summarize a few sections. And so let's begin with verse 1. Moses is labeled here as a man of God. And that's not merely a term of respect. It's a title reserved for prophets speaking for God as do other prophets like Elijah and like Elisha and Samuel. And even the angel of the Lord was called the man of God. As a prophet, Moses has divine authority to speak truth to and about Israel. And we're going to hear Moses speak truth and make predictions as well as God's prophet, as Moses gives final remarks to his beloved nation. So with that said, let's dive into verses 2 through 5 and and so read along with me. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. So they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you. But Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. Thus the Lord became king in Jezreel when the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Notice the way that Moses reminded Israel that the Lord was with them even before day one, for the story began when Moses encountered the Lord who was in the burning bush. If we remember Moses' story, he grew up in the king's house in Egypt. When Moses was an infant, Pharaoh's daughter found him in a basket floating in the Nile. Remember that? And hence his name, Moses, because the name Moses means he who was drawn from the water. As we're going to see that, that names mean things here. And so when Moses was 40, he killed an Egyptian who mistreated a fellow Hebrew, and he was quickly found out. And so Moses escaped and went to Midian and settled down with his wife and his family. And for 40 years, he took care of sheep on the backside of a mountain. And one day Moses saw a burning bush, but it didn't burn up. The Lord was waiting for him. And so in Exodus 3.10, we're going to pick up the story. And the Lord says to Moses, come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my children, my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then verse 12, God says, I will be with you, Moses, and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. In other words, the Lord was going to go with Moses to take his people out of Egypt and then bring them back to Horeb, his mountain, so that he would establish a covenant with Israel. Then in verse 4 we read, Moses commanded us a law as a possession for assembly of Jacob Thus the Lord became king in Jezreel. It's another name for Israel. It means upright one when everybody was gathered at the mountain. The Lord delivered his beloved people and he gave Israel the precious Torah. It's the teaching of the ways of the Lord. What an incredible gift, a treasure. As we've said so many times, going through Deuteronomy, the Lord did not give his Torah 
to the nations. The Lord gave his Torah to his people, to Israel, to show his people how to live and to set a witness for the pagan nations around Israel. And now that Moses reminded Israel of the covenant that the Lord established with them, we're going to quickly walk through some of these inspired words of blessing, beginning in verse 6. With Reuben, may your offspring multiply. For Judah, may you have great military success with a minimal loss of life on the battlefield. And regarding Judah, we remember that the greatest warrior Israel or anybody will ever witness and experience is to come from Judah, a lion. We know him as who? The Lord Jesus, yes, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Moses gave Levi a special blessing for a couple of reasons. First, Moses was a Levite. And so you would think he's got a soft spot in his heart for his clan. But second and most importantly, Levi showed a extreme zeal for the Lord. Notice in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 33. Who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children. For they observed your word and kept your covenant. Then Moses reminded the people what Levi did in the aftermath of the horror of the golden calf. Remember the sordid tale? Moses had been on the mountain for 40 days, receiving the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his own finger on those tablets. And then the Lord told Moses to return to the camp post-haste because they were committing idolatry with the golden calf handcrafted by Aaron. Not a good idea. And Moses saw, and he was filled with rage. And at the foot of the mountain, he broke the stone tablets. He ground the idol into powder. He threw the powder onto the water, and he made the people drink it. And he sharply rebuked Aaron for actually making that calf. And then Moses called out, whoever is on the Lord's side, come here. And so let's pick up the story in Exodus 32, 26 through 29. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And on that day, about 3,000 of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, you Levites each one at the cost of his son and his brother so that he might bestow a blessing on you today. Regardless of the relationship, whether even members of their own household, whether it be parents or brothers or sisters, the Levites were to kill all who participated in the heinous sin. And 3,000 souls perished that day. And from that day on, the Levites were in charge of all things tabernacle, and they had to pack all this up whenever Israel moved around from place to place. And the Lord also entrusted the Levites with spiritual leadership in Israel as well because of their zeal. They were set apart. They were ordained for the priestly ministry. And their tribe had no standing army like the other tribes did. And so Moses asked the Lord to protect them from all the enemies. So moving quickly to the blessings of the rest of the tribes, beginning with Benjamin. May the Lord grant him much safety and protection. For Joseph, 
a prince among his brothers. He said, a great wealth, Moses had pronounced upon him, great favor from the Lord, and many descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh. And for Zebulun and Issachar, may the Lord bless them with such trade and much trade and riches as tribes of integrity. For they will, quote, offer right sacrifices pulled out from the abundance of the seas. The implication is they're not going to deal with what is unclean from the sea. If you remember in, in the law, especially Leviticus, there's some things that people of Israel cannot eat, like shellfish. And so no shellfish for these guys. Gad will be ferocious in battle. This tribe will play an important part in taking the land. But the temptation for Gad was to go back on his pledge and not to cross over the Jordan River to help his brothers to take care of the pagans that were residing in the land. Because of Israel's earlier battles with Sihon and Og outside the land of promise, Gad had already claimed his inheritance. That was his land right there. But Gad was a man of integrity. And in the book of Joshua, it shows that he indeed was full of integrity because he kept his pledge and he helped his brothers to defeat all the pagan enemies that were in the promised land. Dan too will be strong in battle. And Naphtali will have great favor and be full of the blessing of the Lord, both with fertile land and even with the border of Naphtali going and ending at the, the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful place. And last and certainly not least, we have Asher with Moses proclaiming several incredible blessings over him. Security from enemies. Perpetual bumper crops from the multitude of olive trees. So much that Asher's feet will be wading in the oil. Can you imagine how much that is? Superabundance. And how important is olive oil even then and even now? I mentioned earlier that names mean things. And several or seldom are they chosen because mom and dad just like the sound of the name. I don't know if you've named your kids, if your parents had kids, if you named your kids because of the way you like the sound. But that wasn't the case back in Israel's day. See, they're not mere words chosen at random. And Asher's name is no different. It means happy. When Leah's servant bore Jacob's eighth son, Leah blurted out in Genesis 30, verse uh, 13, happy am I. For women have called me happy. And so she called his name Asher. Can you imagine having your son named Asher? Hey, happy, come over here. Great. Well, I find it significant, though, that that Moses would place Asher at the end of the list, right before he gives praise to the Lord for his deliverance and protection of his people. So we're going to come back to Asher's name in in a minute, because here's where we're going to see the direct connection between Moses and Jesus. And so let's skip to verses 26 through 29. As we hear Moses heap more praise on the Lord, Israel's divine king. And what a majestic description of the Lord. Notice what Moses says about him in verse 26. Moses reminds Israel of who Yahweh is. There is no one like him. It is the Lord who rides through the heavens to give Israel help. Does this sound like anything else we have heard in Scripture or read in Scripture elsewhere, where perhaps the Lord Jesus is going to ride through the heavens to rescue his people in Revelation 19 as he returns on a white horse to destroy his enemies and save his people? 
In verse 27, Moses tells his people that the everlasting Lord is Israel's home forever. He surrounds them with protection and strength. And what a, what a wonderful place to be if you are part of God's people. You know, if you got the Lord's protection and strength, what more do you need? And then Moses gives Israel an amazing but familiar words here, and, and familiar to some of us anyway. Underneath, Moses says about Israel, are the everlasting arms. You know that song, you remember that, right? Leaning on the everlasting arms, it comes to mind. I'm sure that's where this comes from. Notice what is under, though, uh, Israel. Everlasting arms, plural, not arm, singular. Scripture mentions the Lord's arm in a number of places, singular. This describes the Lord's power and his deliverance. But when we see arms, plural, it describes security, stability, closeness. What a picture of sheer grace and mercy. See, if we're all familiar with how Israel treated the Lord then and now, for the Lord to keep Israel close to him is truly amazing, isn't it? The Lord knew what he was getting when he created and saved Israel. And guess what? The Lord knew exactly what he was getting when he saved you and me too, sure. See, there's another point that Moses is making also about the Lord's arms. It's these same arms that denote a double power that will thrust out the enemy. And setting Israel up to do what he commanded them to do is to cleanse Yahweh's sacred space of the wicked nations that occupy the land. And when Israel accomplishes the Lord's mission to wipe out the nations, Israel will then live in the land the Lord promised them, undisturbed by any enemy. And what's the result of that victory? Verse 29, happy are you, O Israel. Then notice the question Moses asks Israel, who is like you? Moses then answers this question by giving glory to the Lord. Israel, described as happy, is saved by the Lord. He will protect them, and he will give them decisive victory when they cross the Jordan River and cleanse the land. In fact, Moses predicts that Israel's victories are going to be so overwhelming that their enemies are going to even try to deceive them in order that their lives may be spared. I find it interesting, though, and significant that the question addressed Israel in verse 29, Israel, who was like you, was also addressed to Yahweh earlier after Yahweh delivered his people. Remember in in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, he said, right after the Lord delivered them, Moses said this, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Yahweh stands unique among all gods. They are told to bow down to Yahweh in Deuteronomy 32. And so it would stand to reason that as the Lord is unique in the heavens, so Israel is unique on earth. As the Lord is unique among the gods, so Israel is to be unique among the nations. He is set apart for the Lord, and he is set apart from the nations. And this is the way the things were supposed to be. True. When the nations took a look at Israel and how they were to live, he was supposed to reflect the image of the king. But we know Israel's story, don't we? One epic failure after another after another. They did not look like they should have to the nations. So how in the world can Moses claim Israel to be Asher, happy, 
if they rebelled so easy and so often against the Lord? Well, the answer lies in how loyal the people were in regards to their obedience to the Torah. When they were obedient to his ways, it can rightly be called Asher, happy. They would indeed be happy. You know, they would experience Torah happiness. But those times were few and far between. Think of David when he first became king and Solomon in the height of his power. Under his kingship, there was a time when Israel was the most powerful, most prosperous, most peaceful country around. But that was short-lived, wasn't it? Then we think of the revivals under the godly kings of Hezekiah and Josiah. When the kingdom of Judah returned to the Lord, there was much rejoicing in God. There was much Torah happiness. So let's go back to why Moses mentioned Asher as the name last and most blessed among his brothers. See, there's no logical reason for Asher's name to be last. You know, when, when Moses started giving those blessings, he started off with the firstborn, with Reuben. Why would Asher's name be last? I checked this out. I, I couldn't find a reason for this. And so as I prepared and I was meditating on it, I realized of a possible reason why, why Moses would name, include Asher at the last of the list. See, we began the, the message highlighting Moses as a man of God, as a prophet, one who spoke with God's authority. And as a prophet, God had reasons for Moses addressing the tribes in the order that he did. See, with Asher addressed last, we see what may be on God's heart when it comes to his people. To proclaim happiness upon Israel as a nation. Happy are you, O Israel. But as we've seen throughout, everything centers on the proper relationship that Israel has with Yahweh. He is their divine king, and Israel is to be loyal to him. If they are loyal to him, then the Lord will bless them. And once again, let me emphasize, not a flawless relationship, not a perfect relationship, but a loyal relationship. A true relationship where Israel is not committing spiritual adultery, otherwise known as idolatry. And the bottom line is obedience to the Lord's revealed will, the Torah, results in close relationship to Yahweh, and therefore Israel's happiness. As we've seen throughout, it's always been this way, hasn't it? The Lord loves his people, and the Lord expects his people to live in a way that's pleasing to him. That's just, it's, it ought to be a no-brainer. And that way of pleasing the Lord, that path is the path of Torah. And with that, everything Moses wanted and needed to say to Israel is finished. The last word of Moses consists in his conferring Torah happiness on his people in this way. The chief end of Israel is to glorify Yahweh through a love-based obedience to the Torah and enjoy him forever. And Asher, Torah happiness is how the first Moses and the second Moses, the Lord Jesus, are tied together. See, when Jesus started out his ministry, he was baptized. You remember this, don't we? He was tempted by the devil. He went around healing and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he began to amass disciples around him. And soon after that, he went on a mountain and began to teach the people. He began to teach those who actually were his disciples and those who were potential disciples, who were kind of checking Jesus out to see if he was worth following. 
And the very first word of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, repeated eight times more, is the word blessed. See, we've read them all. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who, who are meek, and so on. Now, the word blessed is an English word that carries with it the idea that people are experiencing a happy disposition. And the Greek word behind the English word here is a translation of the Hebrew word, asher, meaning happy. And so I find it significant that Moses' last words and some of Jesus' very first words bestowed happiness on his people. But with Moses and Jesus, it's not a temporal happiness. It's not a happiness where where there are no difficulties in life. Remember the culture of Jesus' day. The Jews were in occupied territory. Isn't that true? Rome and Israel weren't exactly bosom buddies. Can we agree on that? Rather, Rome merely tolerated the Jews. And crucifixion was done in plain sight to give a message. Don't mess with the Pax Romana. And so of Asher, or happiness, was not found in the temporal, often brutal circumstances, the Jews found themselves under the iron boot of Rome. Where was it to be found? In all that Jesus stood for, in all that Jesus was. This sermon, Sermon on the Mount, and his life which embodied it, was all about living out the Torah and showing his disciples what Torah happiness is like. Here's what he says in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, in this statement, the Lord told his actual and potential disciples, I have come to give you the full meaning of the Torah. That's what it means to fulfill it. The real teaching of the ways of God. Follow my ways, Jesus says, and you will know how to live. Jesus told the people, in essence, follow me and you will find blessing. You will find Torah happiness. And throughout the days of his ministry, Jesus demonstrated what Torah happiness was. It was a life of forgiveness, of love, of power, authenticity, obedience to God's ways, denial of self to follow Jesus, confronting evil, living in true brotherhood. In short, participating in the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated, getting prepared to live in the life to come, a life filled with Torah happiness. And about three years after Jesus began his ministry, it was time for him to not only fulfill the Torah in ethical senses, it was time for him to fulfill the Torah in the prophets in the ultimate sense. See, the teachings of the ways of God in the Torah include predictions of the Messiah who was to come. He will be like a lamb who led to the slaughter. And upon the Messiah, all sin and rebellion would be placed on him because we all have a sin problem, don't we? And Jesus came to conquer sin and death so that we really can experience Torah happiness. And during Jesus' last supper with his men, the Passover Seder, Jesus said things that must have set the hearts and minds of the disciples reeling. He said to them, this unleavened bread is my body, broken for you. This cup of the fruit of the vine is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Eat this bread. Drink from this cup. Do this in remembrance of me. And after these things, over the next 18 or so hours, 
the Lamb of God would experience every hellish pain meant for us. Every pain of death that was meant for us, it was laid upon him. It took the Lord's perfect obedience and death on the cross to secure our Asher, our Torah happiness. But we know that the death of Jesus was only temporary. It wasn't the end of the story, was it? He was placed in a borrowed tomb because he would only need it for three days. He was raised from the dead, never to die again. Death no longer has a hold on him. Can we agree with this? Hallelujah. And now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sent his spirits, poured out on all of us who live in a reconciled relationship with the King, King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And we who know and follow the Lord experience Torah happiness. When a person repents of his or her sin and embraces the gospel of Christ, something amazing happens. See, this person enters into a new covenant relationship, the one that Jesus established by his blood. And what is that? What is the new covenant? We know about this in, in Jeremiah and also Ezekiel. When we enter into a new covenant relationship, the Lord does something on our hearts. He writes his what? His law, his Torah on our hearts. He pours out his spirit upon us to give us the desire to obey the Torah that's on now in our hearts. And as we live out the ways of the Lord, we will experience Torah happiness. In other words, we live out the answer to the question of the catechism. What is the chief end of man? Is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. See, we glorify the Lord as we together, as we live in a vital, saving, holy, warm, powerful relationship with the God of the universe. As God's people, to the degree that we live out the ways of the Lord that he has written on our hearts by the power of the Spirit, we experience the most intense joys, the most satisfying experiences we could ever live because we're living according to how he created us. Regardless of what goes around in us and around around the world, we can glorify the Lord and we can enjoy him forever. Isn't that right? But we're not home yet, are we? We live in this place. It's getting worse and worse every day. We're not home yet. One day, when the time is right, King Jesus will ride through the heavens and be our help. He will ride through the skies in his majesty, and he will rescue all of his people. He will establish his rule and his reign on earth. And then when that happens, all of us will experience permanent Torah happiness. We will live and we will reign with him forever. And so what does the Lord want to give us according to Moses and Jesus? Does he want to give us judgment and death or true happiness? The latter is certainly true, isn't it? The Lord's desire is that we live with him, not die apart from him, or those who do will only experience his wrath and his judgment. See, this is what hell is. See, we've read the end of the book. We know how it ends. And all of us who have been reconciled with King Jesus will live forever in Torah happiness. In a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And as we do, may what we just talked about renew us, refresh our desire to live happy lives God's way. See, we want to honor the Lord by remembering him today as we partake of the Lord's table. 
Jesus is the one who made it all possible. May we seek to glorify the Lord by living out his ways. May we truly enjoy the Lord who who desires for us to get close to him. See, he wants us to be his friends. You knew that, right? He wants us to be his friends. And in a sense, not the other way around. John 15, uh, 13 to 15 says this, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. My friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. And so with that said, let's uh, prepare our time uh, for to partake at the Lord's table. And as we do, I'm going to ask my brother Greg to come and help. And as we do this, as we say, and let me encourage you again to, to remember this. This is not Grace United's table. This is the Lord's table. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then then partake. Feel free to partake. You know. And if you are if you know the Lord, but you are living in a in a time where you're just kind of living in rebellion against him. Um and you're not willing to give it up, not willing to give the sin up, not willing to repent, then um I'm gonna ask you to pass the elements on by because you don't want to you know, participate in the, in the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Don't drink and eat judgment upon yourself. And so if if your heart is right with the Lord, then feel free to partake. Uh, and, you know, if you're wrestling with it, may this time even now as we wait for one another uh, to, uh, to that you might you know, just go before the Lord and say, Lord, I confess my sin. I repent of this. And so I, I want to partake in a worthy manner. So I'm going to ask Brother Greg to, to, uh, a prayer, prayer of the elements, and then we will pass them out. Give you the mic as well. Your Torah, how that sacrifice was to take place, and you foreshadowed what you would do for our sins cannot be cannot be forgiven by our sacrifice. It only can cover them over. And you showed us that again and again. But the true forgiveness came when you stepped into the flesh and when you made the sacrifice. For those of us who would call you Lord, believe in you, and fall down before you, that you sacrificed your body and your blood that we might be redeemed. Help us, Lord, to remember this, not just in this moment, but each and every day all the sacrifices that you have made and that we are now yours. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we uh, partake of the elements, um, let's um, do as we is our, is our custom and let's recite the Lord's Prayer together. Um, old school, as it were. It should be on the screen. But uh, let's, let's recite that together and then we'll, then we'll partake. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Here the words of the Apostle Paul is found in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from you from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed 
he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's partake together. May we pray. Lord, to say thank you is not enough. To say we praise you is not enough. Words don't do it justice. But Lord, these are the words that you've given us. These are the words that you accept. And as we say it from, from a heart that's overflowing and full of gratitude, you accept it. And so, Lord, we do thank you. We do praise you for your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for sending your son to be the sacrifice for us, to be qualified as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we, we thank you. Thank you for allowing us to, to, um, to remember your death this way. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you set it up to give us a regular reminder of who you are and what you've done for us. So now, Lord, I pray that as we turn our attention now to another couple of acts of worship through our singing and through our giving, I pray that these acts of worship will be acceptable in your sight. And Father, we want to also uh, just lift up to you the, the bounty and, and thank you for the bounty that you've given us in our in our fellowship. And so, Lord, I want to pray in advance for, for your blessing on the meal and for the hands prepared the food. May we have a good time around the table in fellowship today. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name.